Um, and so we are honored. And, and uh, give a shout out to the worship team today. That was awesome. So They're so good. Even though they're led by what, a Green Bay Packers fan. Is that right, Naomi? I'm sorry. We're from Philadelphia, the home of the world champion Eagles. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. Ain't no hate. Don't hate on the game. Um, it is so good. It's good to have our team here as well uh, with us. And I love these guys. Thank you, Jonathan, for, for introducing who they are. And um, I, have a, I have a 22-year-old son. Um, I, I married at a very, very, very young age. Um, and my wife was much younger. Uh, but his name's Jake. He leads worship as well. Just uh, He and Nate are doing a phenomenal job in their generation of reaching people. And um, I have a beautiful wife, Danielle, and uh, she is just the joy of my life. Um, we pastor together, um, which is always, how many of you know, it, that's, that could be a challenge? Like living together is a, t- oh, y'all holy up here, right? Some of you are not married, you're like, hallelujah. No, no, when you're married, living together is a challenge, although pastoring together. It's a challenge, but I love it. We moved. We moved just three years ago. We moved three years ago because we were tired of paying taxes. So we moved to, to, this, to this place called Mullica Hill. It's a beautiful little place. We bought a really old house, 1771. It was really, really cool. Used for the Underground Railroad to get slaves out of, uh, out of the south and the north. For someone who's a history geek like me, that's really cool. Um, but we moved, and when, when we moved, my wife, my wife, my wife hates clutter. Does, that, does she have any sisters, uh, brothers? Anyone, any? She hates clutter, and so we, we use what she called purging. We purged before. Like, I walked in one day, and like everything from like that wasn't six months or newer was gone. I, I, I don't know, because sometimes, I don't know, ladies, if you know, but sometimes um, men like older things. Like, I had, a, I had like a flannel shirt that was just being held together by threads, you know what I mean? But I loved wearing that thing, right? It was just, I had it for a long time. No, no, I walked in one day, gone, just gone. She purged, she purged. So, uh, it, it was crazy. So, she purged all this stuff, and that was three years ago, but I just walked down to my basement, like, last month. I can't see the floor. I don't know what happened. Does anyone... Did you ever, like you clean, and then like within just a, it's all, I had to get a dumpster. Do you know how embarrassing it is when you just moved in a lot to get a dumpster? I had to dumpster all stuff out. And I was thinking about that as we were flying yesterday because I was like, man, this is crazy. Because I think sometimes that happens in our life. Yeah. I think a lot of times we start out new. I think a lot of times we get saved, we come to Jesus, Jesus gives us this new life, he does something brand new in us, we get revived, we get regenerated, we get sanctified, we get born again, and there's this great gift of a new house, a new life in our lives, and we're so excited that all the old stuff is purged in the moment. But before we know, we clutter it. We clutter with all sorts of stuff, and, and when we clutter with things, we take the chance of missing things. You know, I, I, have, I have things that my wife called Kyle piles. I just have little Kyle piles around the house. Now, the thing about a Kyle pile is I think I know where things are in my Kyle pile, so leave it alone. Yeah. Right? Come on. But the problem is, the problem is sometimes when I think I know where it is, it gets so messy that when I need it, I can't find it. I think sometimes in our, oh, I'm, I'm hitting homes with somebody. So, so, somebody just elbowed their husband like, he's talking to you, wake up. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, see, like, if church can't be real and honest, it's just who I am. It's helping you out. I'm messy. I am messy. And, and, and here's the problem. The problem is sometimes we have Kyle piles in our life so much so that we think we know where things are until we need them, and then we can't find them. Yeah. 
We need the miracle, but we can't find it. We need the breakthrough, but we can't find it. We need the answer from God, but we can't find it. It's not that God's not in the midst of it, but our life is so cluttered, we can't find the miracle maker. Today, I just want to talk a little bit about making room for the miracle maker. All of us want to uh, uh, to, to hear a sermon about how to make room for a miracle, but it's not about chasing the miracle. It's about making room for the miracle maker. Wherever the miracle maker is, miracles follow. But if we're chasing the miracle, come on, somebody, we're going to miss the miracle maker. So if you brought your Bible, can you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9? Matthew chapter 9, I want to set the stage for a second. What's going on here is a story you've probably heard many times. It's a story of how a synagogue ruler, a Jewish leader in community, comes to a place where he is in a situation where normally he has the answer, but he doesn't have the answer. He can't do it on his own. I love this because that's where I am many times in my life. I've got wisdom. I've got experience. I have lots of years in ministry. But can I tell you, in my walk with God, in my marriage, in my life, there are times that I face things I can't actually fix on my own. And so the synagogue ruler comes to Jesus and, and he says, Jesus, look, my daughter's sick. Can you come back to my house? Jesus said, let's go. And he, he brings Jesus back into a situation that is so cluttered, so cluttered, so cluttered that he almost doesn't get his miracle. I want to ask you something. Have you ever felt like your life is so cluttered that you actually could miss Jesus? Your life is so cluttered with stuff. You don't have time to get in the word, to get in his presence. Your life is so cluttered with logic and insecurity and fear and worry and stress that sometimes we can't find our miracle in the midst of our lives. See, this is where I live. This is where many people in my world live. We're so blessed by the best that we've got so much stuff in our life. We are, I'm just going to say that. I think in in North America, we are overblessed. I want to just say that. We are over. The Bible actually says it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven. Do you know why? Because he doesn't need anything. And it's so easy to be distracted by all the blessing God gave us. Now, don't get me wrong. We should rejoice in the blessing God gave us. But sometimes, come on, sometimes we let it clutter our lives. Matthew 9, verse 23 says this. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he saw clutter. He said to them, make room for the girl is not dead. She's sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, some of us got to put some trash out to the curb. Some of us need some dumpster. Come on. We need a dumpster, a spiritual dumpster to throw some of the stuff that's been living in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our emotions out. Oh, no. They they, they have taken up residency in your life and they ain't even paying rent. You got got some people who are like, they, they, they they are just living in your life that shouldn't be there. Put him outside. He went in, took her by the hand, and the girl rose from the dead. I believe today that there's going to be some resurrections in this room. I believe there's going to be some marriages resurrected, some dreams resurrected, some ministry callings resurrected. I believe there's some healings that are going to be resurrected that have been asleep for too long. But do you see what we first have to do? we got to make room for the miracle maker. It's not about believing right. It's not just about saying the right things. It's not about just being in the right place. Jesus was in the house, and still the girl was asleep. The Holy Spirit, Jesus is in this house right now. Jesus is in this house right now. He walked in. The moment we started to gather together, the Bible said, when we gathered in, he walked in with us. When we began to worship, God began to spin around this room with you. He began to dance. Jesus is in the room. It's not just the presence of God. It's actually our listening to the word of God. Our response to who he is, making room for God to do something. 
in our lives. I, I, I know it gets tricky because the truth is, can I just be honest? The truth is our souls love to be distracted by clutter. Your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, the thing that make you and I up, we love the, it loves to be distracted. Because if it can be distracted from its godly purpose, it can stay in control. Come on, Paul tells us that all of us have this thing inside of us, our natural nature, that doesn't want to do the things of God. It wants to be distracted. It wants to have an excuse. I don't have the time. I've got too much work to do. I have too many things on my plate. Pastor, I'd be at the prayer nights, but I just can't make the time happen. Our soul loves to be distracted. Do you know why? Because our soul can hide in the clutter. Our soul can be, doesn't have to be vulnerable, doesn't have to be open, doesn't have to be exposed to the things of God, to the change and the challenge that the Holy Spirit's trying to bring. You and I, our souls love to be distracted by clutter because it keeps us hidden from the real things that want to take control in our lives. I think a lot of times, like in this moment, we can be distracted, right? we can be cluttered by comfort. Did you see? Well, the, the, the purpose, the reason these people were there was to bring comfort. They wanted to comfort the man for his loss. Come on, let's just be honest. We have a lot of comfort things that clutter our lives. I don't know what you, you turn to when you're kind of stressed out or anything else. Uh, I, I, you know, some people turn to shopping. Other people turn to sports. Some people turn to gaming, whatever. I turn to eating. Can somebody say, man, I love to eat. I love eat. Food is awesome. I love to eat. And, and look, so there's just times. Like, I eat when I'm stressed, and I eat to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Hey, did you ever do this? You diet for like three weeks, and then you hit like a mark, and you celebrate by eating? I do that all the time. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with celebrating life and having a little comfort in life. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's when we actually allow those things to clutter our approach to God, clutter what God's trying to do in our lives. See, the truth is God delights in the prosperity of his children. Come on, what a great God we have who loves to delight in the prosperity of his children. There's nothing wrong with the prosperity of God. We should be enjoying our houses. We should be enjoying our cars. We should be enjoying summer vacation. That's fantastic. The issue is not that God delights in the prosperity of his children. It's that God's children, stay with me, find more comfort in his prosperity than in his delight. So what we chase after, what we try to fill our lives with is the things that comfort us. And we clutter our lives with the things that comfort us. Why? Because we want to be comfortable and we want to be comforted. And so we find our lives, even if they're not of God, they don't have to be bad things. That's what, when they're bad things, we kick them out. But there's a lot of good things that we use to clutter our life through the comfort of God's prosperity. I don't know about you, but uh, my, Christianity's messy. Following God's messy. It's never going to be comfortable. Hey, Peter, step out of the water. Um, excuse me, God, it's a storm. Um, I'm going to sit. Yeah, yeah, I know there's lightning and wind. and Get out the boat. See, faith doesn't exist in the comfortable. Faith exists in the uncomfortable. So if you and I are called to be people of faith, the more comfort we have in our life that surrounds us and the more clutter of comfort we allow to speak into us, the, le- the further we get away from living a life of faith. We have a belief in faith, but it actually separates us. It clutters our lives from living a life of faith. That's why I love what what Solomon says in Proverbs 14.4. He says, where there are no oxen, the manger's clean. But abundant crops come only from the ox. So, oh, I don't don't want to be, I I just, can't we just make it, hey, I just like to, do we have to, uh, 
when we just want our life to be easy, there's no fruit to it. There's no fruit to it. Abundant work comes from, yeah, come on, right? Sometimes we just allow the comfort to clutter our lives. Nothing wrong with comfort. It's just we have to be careful not to let it clutter our lives. Sometimes, like in this moment, we get cluttered by conversations. Do you realize that conversations can be a clutter in your life? How many of us know that not every conversation we should actually engage in? Right? Because in our world, we're all about, man, having a say. And believing, especially in the younger generation, they believe that their opinion, every opinion is valid. I have I, Look, the truth is this. Everybody has an opinion. Not every opinion is valid. It's just not. And certainly not every opinion I should listen to. But come on, do you know how much time we waste being drawn into conversations we shouldn't be in? That wasn't that what was going on. Jesus and this man walk into the room, and there are all these conversations going on that was not going to make that girl li- li- alive. There were so many people already in that room that were having conversations that were not going to benefit that little girl. How many conversations are we entering to that aren't going to benefit our marriage, aren't going to benefit our spirit, aren't going to, aren't going to benefit the salvation of our town, our ministry calling, aren't going to actually lift up God? It's just the truth. The truth is sometimes we don't even have to uh, join in to be drawn in. Man, I, I found the other day, the other day, the other day, I spent, I found my, I had, I spent 30 minutes reading a conversation thread on social media from two knuckleheads. <laughs> I didn't even know. They were so, there were, they were idiots. But they weren't the idiots. I was. I spent 30 minutes. Right, come on. Anyone? Can I get a witness? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? At the end of the day, I'm like, oh, Jesus, didn't have time to read your word. And he went, oh, you had time <laughs> to read a conversation from two knuckleheads you don't know. That doesn't matter. And again, I'm not saying additional reading is not. I love to read. I love to engage. I love to have conversations that matter. But the Bible's clear. Whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is just, whatever is righteous, whatever is kingdom. Think on those things. Man, that's why we have to be careful. Uh, uh, Solomon says in Proverbs 18.6, he says, The lips of fools bring them strife. Their mouths give, uh, position them for a beating. I don't want my life to be beat down. I don't want my marriage to be, da- be beaten down. So it, it matters what the conversation is. Paul is really serious when he says to Titus, he says, man, you're, you're called to be a man of God. You're called to be a man of God. Don't join into these stupid arguments, these controversies. They are pointless and unprofitable. See, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying you to be mute. I'm not talking about, you know, being a, a hermit. No, no, I'm saying we just have to actually not be cluttered by all the conversations that are around. I know in my life sometimes I'm cluttered by this need for security, this need to feel valued, to feel important, this, this need to make sure that uh, my life is safe to be celebrated. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if when that uh, synagogue ruler walked in the door, if he counted how many people were in that room. Because we count how many likes we have on every tweet. We count how many people we find more worth. Hey, how, well, maybe I'm speaking to maybe a, 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 a younger, a, a, all of us find it some way. Because <laughs> sometimes I know this. I look at one person's number of followers, and I look at my number of followers and try to determine who's more important. I wonder if you, we all like to be celebrated. And because we all like to feel, be celebrated and feel like we're worthy, 
we actually will seek that out. And we will actually be worried when we don't have it and afraid when we do that we're going to lose it. And it clutters our life. That's what Jesus is actually saying in Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the sower. You guys remember that story. parable of the sower says the sower went out to sow a seed. He threw some seed into good soil. But the problem was as it began to grow up, weeds choked it out. The, the prob- Can we agree that there was nothing wrong with the seed? There was nothing even wrong with the soil because the soil actually produced life from the seed. The problem was that the, the owner of the ground didn't tend, didn't tend to the garden the seed dropped in. He didn't tend to the soil. He just said, well, man, I, I, I threw the soil. I mean, I threw the seed. I, I placed it in good soil. Therefore, it should take care of itself. No, no. Do you and I realize that the first command God ever gave humanity was to tend the garden? The first command that God gave humanity was to tend what God has given you and I so that what God has given you and I can grow and not be choked out by the worry of this world, the stress of life. Isn't that what Jesus said? Those weeds are the worry, the stress that what I've got is going to be taken from me, that I won't be celebrated, that I won't be valued, that I won't be okay. See, at the end of the day, my friends, uh, 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 the reality for me is that I very often didn't tend to the garden of my life. When I, with parenting Jake, man, I valued pastoring over parenting a lot. I missed a lot of opportunities to be with my son. I valued ministry over my marriage many times. I told our church the other day, I'll be honest, the, the church has become the other, had become the other woman many times in my life. I, I, this, we're, we're just being real. Because I didn't get my value. No one was asking me to come preach in conferences because I had a three-year-old son. They were asking me to come preach in conferences because my church was growing. So, but if you ask God, which one was more valuable? They weren't asking me to come preach in conferences because I had a marriage and I had a wife and I was blessing her. They asked me to come preach in conferences because things were happening at church. See, my friends, whatever you value the most, you and I will pursue the most passionately. Whatever you value the most, whatever you feel like you're going to get the most value from, you and I will pursue those things the most passionately in our lives. That's why we have to be careful what we actually place into our soul, what we allow to clutter the soul, fill the soul of our lives. Why? Because John tells us in 3 John, verse 2, he said what? Be in health. Let you prosper in all things. Let Let your whole body be in health as your soul prospers. You and I will never prosper when we allow the wrong things to clutter and fill the soul of our lives. Let me just throw this last thing out. We'll move on from the clutter part. But can anyone, can anyone relate maybe to some of the clutter we just talked about already? Because I, I, I'm not even saying I can relate to one. I got all this stuff. How about the clutter of culture? Do you realize that our culture messes us up? Our culture clutters us from having faith and getting a breakthrough sometimes. Our culture, those people that were in in that room, they weren't there for bad reasons. They were there because that's what their culture told them they should be doing. They were well-meaning people who had the wrong result. There are a lot of well-meaning people in our lives, well-meaning cultural things in our life that actually position us to miss the breakthrough that we should have in our lives. There were many voices that were actually a distraction from the real voice. Come on, our culture, in our culture, we are barraged by voices. Do you realize that the average person, the average adult, spends two hours a day on social media? Yeah. 
the average teenager spends nine hours. That means that for you and I, now stay with me, for you and I, for you and I, we will spend five years, four months of our life on social media. Again, I'm not against social media. Just hear what I'm saying, right? I'm not against anything. I'm for something. I'm for us living healthy and not being distracted. Five years of my life, I'm going to engage on social media. For young people, that actually means over 20 years of their lives. A quarter of their life is spent on social media. We're distracted. But we can be distracted even in church culture. Because in church culture, we can be taught that if I do the right thing, say the right thing, serve the right way, give the right way, that God is now entitled, God is now responsible to make, meet my need. That means when my child is sick and in the bed, God, I served in children's ministry, I tithe this week, I mean, I've prayed, I mean, every time Pastor Jonathan calls me and asks me, I'm ready, I'm there, I have cut the grass outside of that church in the heat on that one day of summer that we get in Canada. I have cut it. And church culture says, if you do, if you do, if you do, you deserve. Our culture distracts us from the one that is absolutely in his room. We don't have a church culture. We have a kingdom That means, here's the kingdom. The kingdom has a culture, but the kingdom culture comes from the king. When you are living in a a monarchy and you need something, you don't tell the king to get behind what you need. You go to the king and say, what do you say? And whatever you say, I'll do because I don't have a choice because you're the king and I'm not. But in our world, we are distracted by even church culture. And the truth is, That when we're distracted, we position ourselves to miss the most powerful anointing that God has for us. We can miss powerful anointings. That there's this moment in in, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10 where Israel's looking for a king. And the Bible says the prophet Samuel goes to find the king, to anoint him, to, to empower him to be who God's called him to be to make a difference in his community, to actually elevate Israel, to to bring about a change they've never seen before, that there was something powerful that was going to happen that wasn't there before. God was getting ready to release an anointing that that that, that place had never seen. I believe that God has an anointing for people in this room you haven't seen yet. I believe that God has an anointing for the city that that, that people in your community haven't seen yet, in your schools, in your marketplace, that people haven't seen yet. Here's the problem. The problem is when the prophet showed up, he could couldn't find the king. They couldn't find the one to anoint because verse 22 says he was hiding in the luggage. He was hiding in the stuff. He was hidden in all the clutter. I believe that there are some things that God wants to do. I believe there are some anointings that God wants to bring. There are some things that God wants to release. There are some gifts that the king wants to manifest that he is ready to anoint, but too many of them are being hidden in the clutter. There's riches in your clutter. There there are riches that are being buried. Come on, some of us are Christian hoarders. Come on, somebody, right? We are just Christian. We we get this praise and that thanks, and we get this worry and that stress and this conversation, and and we want to keep peace with that person. We don't want to rock the boat over here. We are are Christian hoarders. And there's a treasure buried somewhere in our life. 
I just read an article the other day about a Nevada man who died. Just recently he died. He had $200 in his bank account. Didn't have a big house, but when they went in to clean out his house, it was loaded with junk, just stuff. He was a hoarder. Here's the problem. When they were cleaning out the garage under a pile of stuff in the garage, he had $7 million worth of gold. He had $200 in the bank. He was living like a pulper. Come on, somebody. When he had, the, when he had the, the, the provision of a king, some of us, men or women of God, are living like pulpers every day. Oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. I don't have enough of my spiritual bank account. When the, when the provision for your breakthrough, the provision for your miracle, the provision for your calling is already in your house. It's just covered with crap. We're allowing the clutter of our life to keep us from what God has in us. Come on, what part of the king is hiding in the clutter? What treasure have we not seen because it's too hidden by the stuff in our life? See, the reality is, my friends, that the enemy wants to distract us from dominion. He wants to keep our legacy asleep and insignificant. He wants the church to stay asleep, our destiny as a mom or a dad to, to, to stay asleep, our realization that we are ordained and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to stay asleep. He doesn't need to convince you that you're not called, that you're not empowered, and that you're not ordained. He just needs to fill your life with so much clutter that you accept that part of you as resting in the moment. I think at times the enemy so fills the room with clutter to make our lives feel full while our destiny lies dormant in the other room. My life feels full at times while my destiny lies dormant, while the breakthrough lies dormant. But I'm convincing myself, man, I, I really wish that would happen, but I live such a full life. And I just have to step back and begin to ask myself, I'm asking myself in this journey, in this time, I just turned 50 last year, I have to actually ask myself, I know I'm on the back nine. Come on, somebody who's post-fit. I'm on the back, I got it. I'm on the back nine, right? I, I got it. I understand. But that actually makes me actually have to stop and ask myself, come on, am I filling my life with stuff that matters or not? Yes. Good friend of mine who I just worked for, Man, he, he, just, he just fell off the wagon and found out some stuff, and he just went to jail for the rest of his life. He will never see the sunlight again. Yeah. I am shattered by that. Yeah. I don't think any less of him for it. Don't get me wrong. It's not about that. It's about actually a wake-up call for me. Yeah. See, because there were things, obviously, that were hidden there in the clutter for too long that didn't come to the light soon enough. Yeah. See, it wasn't that he wasn't called. It wasn't that he wasn't empowered. He wasn't ordained. There were things in the clutter. Yeah. I can't allow the things that I've hidden over in my clutter to keep me from losing the destiny that God has for me, from absolutely stepping out of the calling God has for me. The last thing I want to do is make the last half of my life less significant than the first half. Because my God says he brought me from glory to glory to glory to glory. That means there were some things I got away with when I was 25 that I shouldn't be getting away with when I'm 55 because I grew wiser, I grew stronger, I matured in Jesus, and I learned how to put some things in the dumpster fire that need to get into the dumpster fire, not so that I'm a better person, not so I'm a more holy person, but so that I am actually a more effective kingdom builder for God. See, here's the thing about the enemy. He can't keep you from bringing Jesus into your life, but he can keep you so cluttered and distracted so you don't hear the king when he is in your life. 
Jesus was in the room. The enemy couldn't stop Jesus from getting in the room, but he could put enough clutter in there to distract him. I think the interesting thing here is that they brought Jesus into the room, but they wouldn't listen to his voice. But the power, my friends, is in the word. I don't have to convince word church of this. You have a foundation on the word. You know the power of the word. It is the word that spoke into nothingness. In all of the universe, a hundred billion galaxies with a hundred billion stars, at the mention of a word, birthed into being. It was the word of God that actually sent the demons into the pigs. It was the word of God the centurion said, hey, Jesus, all you need to do is say the word. All you got to do is release the word. I know the power's in the word. Just say it, and I know my servant will be healed. It's the word, Isaiah says, that goes forth and does not come back void. It's the word of God that lives forever. It's the word of God that lasts beyond time. It's the word of God that lights my way. It's the word of God that actually empowers my tomorrow. It's the word of God that contains life in it that actually overcomes the darkness. It's the word. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, 8, the word of God's in your mouth. We've got it. He can't stop the enemy from coming, but he can stop us from listening to the word. Look at verse 24. We're almost done. Verse 24 gives us the key. It says, make room. It is not a suggestion from Jesus. Jesus does not walk up in there and go, hey, just want to make sure we're all good. Are we good? We're good? Are we good? I know we see things differently. I, 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 I don't really want to rock the boat. So, I mean, I just want to make, are we, I just, I, we just have a different opinion. Jesus rolls into the room and he says, get out. That word make room is a command. Jesus never rolls into a place that actually is speaking a different culture than the one he brings and does not command that to leave. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Jesus can command something. Stay with me. Jesus can command something, but we actually have to agree with it. Because if Jesus would have said, make room, and, the, and, the, and, and Jairus, the synagogue rulers, would have said, whoa, wait a minute. These are my friends. Don't want to actually upset anybody. Hey, Jesus, can't you and I just go to the back room? Listen, the room would have stayed full. Jairus had to agree with the word that was spoken. God said, make room. It's a command. We got to make room. There are some things we got to get out. There are some things we have to make a choice to get out of our life so that something can get in. When that says make room, it means to put things outside, to force an exit in something. I mean, just recently, God's really been hitting me in this season of my life in Jeremiah 4, verse 3. It says, man, plow the unplowed ground and stop sowing into the weeds. God spoke that to me a little while. Stop sowing into the weeds. I said, God, I'm so, so I, I, man, that just rocked me to my core. I realized so much time I spend trying to convince people. Convince people. Look, if you are not lining up with what Jesus said in my life, get out. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop having a relationship with you. It doesn't mean that I'm going to actually cast you out and ostracize you. It means this, I'm giving you no room to speak into my life. There's no place in my life for someone who's not going to actually agree with what the master says when he walks in. Because my soul already doesn't want to agree. Come on, somebody. There's already a voice saying no. There's already a part of me that wants to stay in control. There's already a part of me that wants to reject God. I need people. I need somebody. I need a friend. I need men and women of God to come by and and say, you know what? I'll agree. I'll agree. What does Jesus? I agree. I haven't even been in the other room yet. Come on, somebody. I haven't even been in the other room. I don't need to be in the other room. Jesus said it. I'm in. Let's do it. That's what unlocks faith inside of you and I. It's faith that makes room. 
Faith is the expander. Faith is bringing Jesus into the room with us. His words, his presence changes everything. I think the truth, as I said to this Pastor Jonathan yesterday, the challenge in our modern church culture is that you and I are able to produce enough in our own strength that we can convince ourselves that we can do without those things that are asleep. We can produce enough in our own strength, enough good things, enough godly things, that it's okay with those things that stay asleep because my life is full enough without them. But my friends, those things that are asleep might just contain the most significant potential to reveal the kingdom of God that you've ever seen. Lazarus was asleep, John 11, for four days. The culture said, he's gone. It's over. The spirit has left. There ain't no way. You are crazy for believing. There's not going to be anything possible happen. It's done. It's over. Until Jesus rolled up. And Jesus rolled up in the middle of all of the culture and all the voices and all the things. And they rolled the stone away. And one word, one word, Lazarus, boom, come forth. Yes, master. And the Bible says after Lazarus rose from the dead, people, priests, Pharisees, religious leaders, uh, 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 political leaders were coming to Jesus so much so that it was at that point, it was at that point that the Pharisees said, we got to do something about Jesus. Because there was something that was asleep that had more potential to change the circumstance, to change the marketplace, to change the family, to change the city. There are things that are asleep in us that we have allowed to be asleep because, man, my life is good. My family is good. My marriage is good. My life is good. It's not about being good. It's about, it's about revealing God. How much more can what we found asleep in our lives reveal God if we will just allow the king to speak into it? Come on, church, there are things that are sleeping that need to be awoken. Dead things that need to live again that have been asleep for too long. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're a a wife or a husband here today, and your wife or your husband's not with you. You just kind of fell into the thing. This is, I know, I'm just going to pray for them. I'm just, I know this is just the way it is. No, 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 no. No, there's some clutter that has made you believe that. See, because my king desires for everyone to come to repentance. My king desires the moment you two became one for you to be one. I'm not saying it may not happen overnight, but I believe that there's a power that happens when we agree with what God says about our marriage, about our lives. I believe there's some callings in this room that have been asleep for too long. I believe there are some callings of people's lives that maybe you had at a, at a youth camp when you were little. Maybe you had when you were in Sunday school somewhere. Maybe Pastor Brownie actually prophesied over you at some time in your past. And somewhere along the way, you've allowed that to be asleep because after all, I've got a job, I've got a career, I've got a people, I've got a thing, I've got responsibility, and yet God is calling you to stir that thing up. There are things that, what, what's dead that needs to be alive? What is it that we've accepted to be asleep for too long that should be speaking of God's greatness? There's something inside of you today. If we get rid of the clutter, if we can just get rid of the clutter, that can change our destiny forever. Middle of the Korean War, There were so many 
injured soldiers coming in to the MASH units, they didn't know what to do. So they developed a system called triage. Many of you are probably familiar with it, but what they did when in, they developed it is that they based every moment when sol wounded soldiers came in on three different tags. They had green tags that said, this person is so bad, we got to get them into the operating room so right now or he'll die. There were yellow tags that said, this guy is, is, is wounded, but he'll be all right if you just give him some time. Maybe we can bring him in later after the, the green tags are done. And then there were people with red tags. If you had a red tag, it just meant you were dead. You were going to die. There was no help, no hope. There was no resurrection. Doctor would go from patient to patient, followed by a nurse, and the doctor would say red or green or yellow, and she'd put a tag on that person and move on. One day, the doctor had said over this young man, red. See, that young man had been around long enough that he actually knew what that meant, and so as the nurse came to put it on his toe, to put it on his body, he said, look, I know that I'm about to die, but can you please do me a favor? Can you please tell my wife and my kids that I did this for them? And I'm glad to give my life so that they could have freedom. She was so moved by what he said that she changed the tag from red to green. She, the, the orderly saw the green tag, ran over, picked this man up, took him into surgery. Even though the doctor had said it was a red tag, that meant he was dead. Later on, as he came out of surgery, he lived. Yeah. A few months later, the master unit was closed down for a day because a general was coming in. As the general came in, they were so worried that it was going to be an inspection, that, that something was going to be, uh, they, were, they were going to be written up, that something bad was reported about them. And they gathered all of the, the staff uh, in the, the cafe, the area where they ate the commissary. The general strolled in, and with that, everyone breathed in nervously. The general stood at the podium and said, for three months, no one has left this base. I've monitored very carefully to make sure no one's been transferred in, no one's been transferred out. And I know three months ago, someone broke protocol in this place and changed a soldier's tag from red to green. And I want to know right now who did that. I know that you're in this room because no one's left. Who did it? After just a moment of silence, a nurse stepped out into the aisle. She said, General, I did that, sir. Expecting him to be angry and to yell and scream for breaking the protocol. He did something unforeseen. He got down off the, pro off the podium and began to run to this woman with tears flowing in his face. As he reached her, he grabbed a hold of her and fell to his knees and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. That boy was my son. And because you changed his tag, he's alive today. I just came here today to say thank you. When I heard that story, I said, that's the story I want of my life. I may not be in the Korean War or the Vietnam War or the Afghanistan War, but I am in the war 
of the cosmos, the war of eternity. And these are not soldiers who are dying on a battlefield. They are soldiers who are dying for eternity. And I don't want to be the person that just sits back and allows my life to be so distracted. I just listen to the voice in front of me that says red and green and yellow and red and green and yellow. I want to hear the voice of the king actually begin to say, you are a tag changer. You need to change someone's tag. They are destined to die, but not if I touch their life because what was dead can be resurrected again. What the world says is dead, I say can live. There are tag changers in this room. We're too distracted. We're too distracted with our cluttered lives that have convinced us that they are too full. Come on, there's people dying on the battlefields of life in your school, your marriage, your kids, your marketplace, in Lloydminster. We got to change a few tags. Mm -hmm. But in order to see the miracle happen, my friends, we have to make room for the miracle maker. Come on, can we pray?